What a week it has been. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It's great to be here with you. It's extra special to be here with you because, not going to lie, I have had the sports week of my life. Uh, I was at the Chiefs-Bills-AFC Divisional Round Playoff game on Sunday night with my wife. And then Monday night, I was at Allen Fieldhouse for the first time in my life to see the double overtime game between Kansas and Texas Tech. So I got back-to-back games on back-to-back nights in almost a 24-hour span of overtime NFL playoffs and double overtime Big 12 action in my first trip to Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, I will never have a 24-hour stretch of sports like that in my life ever again. Like, ever again will I ever top those 24 hours. Absolutely insane. The end of that Chiefs game, uh, the KU game was bonkers. And, oh, gosh, just crazy awesome. Crazy awesome couple of days. So I'm feeling good this week. This week has flown by. And uh, we appreciate you guys being here. And and I, I do plan to be out at Arrowhead for uh, chiefs Bengals on Sunday. So I'm going to try to cap off the week on a high note, watching a team go to a Super Bowl. But I, I just want to spend a couple of minutes to start off the show on my experience at Allen Fieldhouse. You know, I've been in Kansas City now. It'll be almost the start of my fifth year here pretty soon. And Katie and I went to Allen Fieldhouse the summer of 2018 and just kind of walked into the museum area. There was obviously no game going on, nothing else happening. But we walked through the museum area, and regardless of what you think of KU, right? I mean, I don't care if you're a K-State fan and you just hate KU. The history that is in that museum and in that field house and within that basketball program is incredible. And if you're a fan of the sport, it's it's something special, Right. And I'm a fan of the sport first and foremost, so I appreciate what they have going on there. And I hadn't been back since. I just, you know, it's tough to get to a KU basketball game, obviously, for a multitude of reasons. And I just wasn't able to make it work. So I go there Monday and uh, just an absolutely outstanding experience getting to see the 13 rules of basketball by James Naismith getting to rewalk and uh, kind of reacquaint myself with the museum area and section of the field house, and then getting to experience a game in that field house. You know, I didn't realize this, but Allen Fieldhouse has set the record for the loudest college basketball arena in the country. It may be arena in the country for a sporting event uh, with 130 decibels or something like that. They set it back in 2017. And, of course, Arrow has the loudest outdoor football stadium, so pretty good for two stadiums within 40 miles of each other. But anyway, you walk into Allen Fieldhouse, there's no frills, nothing fancy about it. Everyone is there to watch basketball. You know, bleacher seating for the most part, no suites, no dimming the lights. Uh, it's just you feel like you're back in 1970 watching a game. Uh, yes, there's the big board and all that kind of stuff, and they got you know videos up there and everything. But if you just like look around and do a pan shot of Allen Fieldhouse packed with 16,300 fans for every single game, it's different. It feels different. And it's unlike anything I've experienced 
on the college basketball side of things. You kind of feel like you're experiencing history, and you feel like you're 50 years in the past in a weird way. And, yeah, those KU Hoops fans, I mean, they are juiced, man. If this football program ever got going, I'd love – now, maybe you can't. Maybe it's impossible for a not, – not saying KU's ever going to be a football fan base, first and foremost. And maybe part of the reason that fan base is so basketball-oriented and passionate is because of the football struggles. I don't know. But that fan base, if they applied that energy to football games, KU would be a hell of an atmosphere for a football game if Lance Leipold can keep turning things around. But that fan base gets absolutely bonkers for these games. And I got to give you KU fans credit, especially the student section. There were times when I wanted to stand where I was sitting because, I'm not going to lie, those bleachers get a little uncomfortable a little quickly, especially for us taller guys. But KU fans are pretty quick to sit back down on the side. But they're loud, and they're loud when they need to be loud, and that I can appreciate for sure. Uh, but it was it was special. It was fun. It was unlike anything I've experienced. And if you do ever have the opportunity to go to a KU basketball game, to go to Allen Fieldhouse, uh, please take up the offer. You will not regret it. And um, it's one of those bucket list items if you're a college basketball fan. So wanted to share that with you as we started off the show here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Now, we'll talk to Matthew Postens about some Big 12 hoops coming up here in just a few minutes. But on the football side of things, I thought this was interesting uh, when it came down this week that the Big 10 is looking at the idea of removing divisions. Instead of having the East and the West, the Big Ten is looking at the idea of just getting rid of them completely. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I mean, the Big 12's been doing this for a decade, right, ever since they went to 10 teams. And I never thought the Big 12 got enough credit for doing their round robin. And double round robin, of course, in basketball. But and, And the Big 12, then it brings back the championship game, and it's a one versus two, the only Power Five conference in America that was doing and is doing a true one versus two when it comes to, you know, picking their conference champion. The Big Ten is realizing that the SEC West, or excuse me, the Big Ten West blows. And it's blown for a very long time. I mean, the reality is this. No West Division team has won the Big Ten in the eight years since the format was introduced. And the last time a West Division team even played its opponent within a touchdown in the Big Ten championship game was 2017 when Wisconsin lost to Ohio State 27-21. So in the East, you've got Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. In the West, you know, it's Wisconsin and uh, Wisconsin and uh, Wisconsin, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what the Big Ten West is. And then, yeah, you know, once in a while, you look at how things trend in this league and where things go. And I was up there, obviously, and... Uh, maybe one day a Nebraska will pop through, but who knows about that? Northwestern pops in there once in a while, but I mean, we, we know what happens, right? So I'm thinking to myself from a Big 12 perspective, well, maybe the Big 12, who's talking about going back to divisions when they expand, maybe the Big 12, who started this trend, shouldn't go back to divisions. Maybe the Big 12, who never got the credit it deserved, For removing divisions, which makes the league harder, right, especially if you're going to do a conference championship game and have one versus two, 
Maybe the Big 12 shouldn't give that up because here's what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen is you're going to have a situation where the Big 12 conference goes back to divisions. The SEC, the Big 10 remove divisions, and I'm just speculating here. The SEC has not talked about it, but let's just say for sake of conversation. And the national media is going to say, oh, boy, well, the Big 12 is so weak. They do divisions. Nobody should be doing divisions anymore. Look at the Big 10. Look at the Big 10 with no divisions. One versus two, baby. Oh, my goodness. This is so great. That's what's going to happen. Meantime, these same jackals wouldn't say squat about how the Big 12 didn't have divisions for the better part of a decade and played one versus two and got very little credit for it from the national media. So maybe it's not the best idea for the Big 12 to go to the division route. Maybe if the other conferences are going to start copying the Big 12, if nothing else, the Big 12 should stay there and say, whoa, 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 we thought of this, we're taking the damn credit for it, and we're not going back to divisions. And then you kind of figure out and plan your scheduling of games around that. I, I, I would not be opposed to that at all the more I thought about it, because I certainly don't want what I just mentioned to happen. The Big 12 goes to divisions, other conferences stray away from them, and then it's another excuse to bang on the Big 12. Well, they have divisions, and you shouldn't have divisions anymore, and that's going to hold this conference back as we expand the college football playoff. Come on. You can see the bozos on ESPN saying that right now, can't you? I can. I, I, I can see it right now. And one thing the Big 12 has not always been good at is staying ahead of the curve in college football and seeing into the future. And on the issue of divisions, they may have been a good five years ahead of their competitors. So before giving all that up, this is just my message. Before giving all that up, let's see where things stand around the sport, what other conferences are doing, and then make the best decision for the future of the Big 12 that works beyond 2025 in a college football expansion world. There's my two cents. Pete Mundo with you, rolling through a show here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Reminder, if you're not on the podcast and you're just on the radio, get on the podcast. We've got a lot more content there. Hit that subscribe button. And coming up next, let's talk some Big 12 basketball with Matthew Postens. We'll break it all down with him. Coming up next, right here on the show. Well, as we do this time each and every week during basketball season, welcome on our guy. No one knows Big 12 hoops like him. Matthew Postens joining us on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. You know, I was talking earlier in the show, Matthew, about my first trip to Allen Fieldhouse this week, seeing that uh, double overtime wild game against Texas Tech. You also were at Allen Fieldhouse this season for your alma mater, Stephen F. Austin. Your first trip there uh, in your lifetime. So as a college basketball junkie, did it live up to the hype? Yeah, I think it did. And, you know, it's also interesting that it's not quite, you know, exactly what I expected too. I mean, I've been to arenas all over the country and, you know, modern arenas, older arenas. And I mean, this Allen Fieldhouse really is kind of a throwback to what, you know, field houses and arenas used to be. I mean, there there are no frills, there are no suites, there's no, you know, bells and whistles to it. It's just a straight up 16,000 seat venue for basketball. And it's when you pack in some of the best fans in college basketball and you bring in some of the biggest teams and some of the biggest games in the country every year, it really creates an incredible atmosphere. I mean, 
you know, my alma mater is a, a good mid-major team, and it was nearly full that night at Allen Fieldhouse, and it was a great atmosphere, and it was after school had let out and students were there. And one of the great things that I really enjoyed about it was, A, when you walk around the concourse there, you can actually see into the arena, which is actually a really unusual feature for arenas these days. And B, you know, I walked around on the floor before the game and after the game, not a single usher bothered me about being close to the floor. I mean, they they really seem to understand their place in basketball history and really seem to embrace that. I could not agree more. I think that's a great point to make where uh, they really are pretty understanding. Outside of when the players and coaches are coming in and out, it is a very relaxed atmosphere, and I I think they understand that from a historical perspective. That's a a great point. Now let's look at uh, the the actual season here right now, where we're sitting at. KU's in first place. Meantime, you got K-State at the bottom of this conference. But uh, we talked last week about how nine of the top ten toughest remaining schedules are in the Big 12. Now, this week, Matthew, the top nine toughest schedules in college basketball are all in the Big 12 conference. Can this team or this conference go nine for nine in NCAA tournament bids? Of course, Oklahoma State is banned from playing in the postseason. So can they go nine for nine? I, I think it would be really tough because, you know, first of all, if you're going to be an at-large team, you're going to need to be above 500. And, you know, K-State's had a really good, really, you know, quality couple of weeks. But I, I think there's a, a ceiling to where they can get. I mean, they could win 15, 16 games and maybe be there, you know, at, at 500 going into the Big 12 tournament. And then it really boils down to whether or not they can make a run in Kansas City and be at maybe 17, 18 games. I, I think everybody else in the conference right now feels like, to me, they're in good shape. I'm a little worried about West Virginia right now. They're they're in a slump right now. Um, they look like a very disjointed team. I, you know, I watched the Oklahoma game earlier this week, and their backcourt seems to be doing something different than their frontcourt on the offensive end. They have no interior offense. Sean McNeil is not playing with a lot of aggression. Uh, they're they're really kind of you know trying to they're just having chemistry issues and I think they may be having more chemistry issues than any other team in the conference right now but they're still a really good defensive team and I think at the end of the day they'll pick it up and get into the NCAA tournament but you know to me Kansas State is the team that would really worry me you know they're they're actually a bubble team right now in bracketology I think they'll they'll drop off that bubble on uh, in the next one when it's released but um, eight's not far-fetched because TCU is playing some good basketball and they had a really good non-conference. So they've got a good head start in terms of the number of wins you need to get in that large vid in the tournament. Yeah, I, I do think it's going to be very difficult and you're going to have real, uh, you, you're going to have to have, you know, a couple of big wins for the bottom tier of the conference, which I agree does not look incredibly likely. The Mountaineers lost Oklahoma on Wednesday night. Bob Huggins kind of tore into his team, and his, and and he also ripped himself. He took all the blame for where his team is at right now. He said they can't pass the ball; they got a lot of problems. What what do you see as the biggest issue for the Mountaineers, and and can it be corrected here in a short period of time? I, I think their biggest issue is kind of what I hit on a minute ago. They they don't have any real consistent interior offense. When they had Derek Culver last year, that that really drew defenders to him inside, and that opened up opportunities for Miles McBride and Taz Sherman and Shaw McNeil to do what they need to do from the outside. Now, Sherman's had a really good season. McNeil's having a solid year. 
but because they don't really have a good, consistent interior offensive player, defenses can double up Taz and Sean. They can basically face defend him, either one of those guys, and, and take them out of the game because they know that there's no one inside that can really beat them. I mean, Gabe Osteboyan had 17 points against Oklahoma, but that's an anomaly for him. He's not a consistent offensive performer in the front court. They either need somebody in their front court to step up on offense and be more consistent, or Bob Huggins just needs to go four out, you know, start Malik Curry as opposed to bringing him off the bench and just start, you know, putting the ball in the hands of three or four ball handlers, you know, those three guys I just mentioned and Jalen Bridges and just let them go because that's, that's the only other formula if they're not able to add some sort of interior scoring uh, here in the last month and a half of the season. Yeah, great points. Matthew Poston's joining us here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. So, Matthew, right now you look at this league and you have six teams who are between five and three and three and five in conference play. But over the last week or so since we've spoken, who who has been the biggest surprise uh, to you in this conference? You know, Texas really surprised me against TCU on Tuesday. They They won that game by 20 something points. And I think that's actually the best Texas has looked in about three weeks. They, mm-hmm. they actually looked connected on the floor and there have been times this season, especially in the offensive end where they just did not have any kind of chemistry at all. Oklahoma state really discombobulated them in the previous week. Of course they lost to Kansas state at home, which was their first home loss of the year. But for the first time in about three or four games, they looked connected on offense. They looked like they knew what they were doing. They looked like they knew what the other guys around them were doing um, they and there could be some carryover to that, and they need that carryover because they've got Tennessee coming in for the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and then after that they have four straight ranked teams in Big 12 play, starting with Texas Tech on the road on February 1st, which of course is going to be pretty insane when you consider all the drama around Chris <laughs> Beard and Texas and Texas Tech. But they're heading into a really critical stretch, and, and that win over TCU is a good momentum boost for them. Not just the win, but the way they played on the road and playing in a way in which offensively they were really connected. Yeah, and uh, don't forget, I think Ric Flair is going to be out at that game, if I'm not mistaken. So that should be... Yeah, as, as, <laughs> as, if, there, as if you don't need more drama, Ric Flair is going to be there. Exactly I don't know right. what he's doing, but he's going to be there. He's going to be there. That's right. Woo! All right. So uh, Matthew Poston's joining us here on the show. All right, Matthew. So we looked at this Big 12 SEC Challenge. You know, I was listening to Bill Self on the way home from the KU Tech game the other night, and he kind of, you know, they're playing Kentucky, obviously. And he, I don't want to say he poo-pooed it, but he kind of said it's not a league game. Yeah, it may help us with the seeding line. But the feeling I got from Bill Self is like this is more for the media and the fan base than it really is to maybe the coaches and possibly, I don't want to say the players, but certainly the coaches. Uh, what do you think about just the general nature of this Big 12 SEC challenge? Is it awkward being in the middle of the season? Would you move it? Do you like it where it is? And how do you think it plays out? I like it exactly where it is because everybody's had a couple of months to get on, get their legs under them, and they kind of know who they are as a team. You know, we don't get these kinds of games in football season. We get great conference games, and we get the occasional great season opening game between two great teams but basketball consistently you have teams like Kansas who play Michigan State who play Dayton who play Kentucky who play really big programs on a regular basis to test themselves so I think it's perfect where it is 
you know, Bill, Bob Bolsey has been clear, and I agree. This game and the Big East game are kind of pseudo-conference games, and it helps them with the seeding absolutely. This is going to help Kansas. You know, Kansas beating Kentucky could be the difference ultimately between them being a one seed and a two seed when we get to mid-March when the bracket comes out. So these games are, are more important than, than just for the media or just for fans uh, in terms of seeding. And, you know, I, I, think th- I think it's going to be an incredible weekend because I think the SEC is better than they were a year ago. I think the Big 12 is better than they were a year ago. And you've got great games, not just this one, but Tennessee going to Texas. Oklahoma's playing the number one team in the country. Uh, there's potential for great games throughout the day. TCU's hosting LSU. It's going to be a great weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Yep, can't wait. He's Matthew Postens doing great work on the site at heartlandcollegesports.com covering Big 12 hoops. Matthew, enjoy the Big 12, Big 12 SEC Challenge. We'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks. He's Matthew Postens. He writes great stuff every day on the website during the uh, Big 12 basketball season. Hey, uh, do me a solid. Hit that subscribe button. And if you're feeling extra special and extra generous, leave a rating and a review, and I'll send you a Heartland College Sports koozie exclusively in the mail. Yes, in the mail. By leaving a rating and a review of this show on iTunes or Spotify. I hear they're doing reviews now. And then send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo. That's M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. And I got these great Heartland College Sports koozies waiting for you so please uh take a moment out it would mean the world to me if you would do it and i will send you a gift in return thank you so much guys have a great day and we'll talk to you soon here on heartlandcollegesports.com